welcome to Agile Clips, where we break down Agile into manageable pieces. In this episode, we're joined by James Saliba to discuss what it takes to be a leader. All leaders can find themselves stuck, and in this conversation, James explains what causes it and how to get unstuck. We're here today for another podcast, and we have a guest, Jim Saliba, who I will allow to introduce himself. Um, Hi, I'm Jim Saliba. I um, have been involved with Agile for a number of years, and actually know these guys for quite a long time. We did some work at PayPal together, and amazingly enough, we stayed in touch and friends since then. And these guys, of course, are Andrew and Santosh. Hey, guys. How are you doing? And, of course, uh, good old Steve. Why do you say old? <laughs> <laughs> well, at least he said good as well. Yeah. So, yeah, there's that. There's that. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, Jim, tell us uh, what's a hot topic these days for you. Oh, for me, um, I'm very involved in coaching leadership uh, from an executive coaching point of view. Uh, A number of years back, it came to my mind that Agile often works well in in the trenches, in the engineering teams, but there's often a disconnect that happens a couple layers up that uh, management and leadership still try to work things in very project-orientated, kind of a waterfallish way, which is different than what's happening from a natural point of view. So, so some people went into what I would call uh, business agility, and I decided to focus not so much on the teams. There's a lot of people there. Let's, let's get the leaders into shape. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's good to see. It kind of feels like we've gone a long way with team level agility. And it's rather revealed that in many cases, that's not actually where things are getting stuck. It's elsewhere in the organization. Well, I saw earlier this week, um, something saying Scrum is 25 years old now. Oh, glory. Oh, wow. <laughs> that makes me feel old. Goodness gracious. 25 years. Yeah. And I know there's been a new edition of the Scrum Guide just come out, and to my shame, I haven't had time to go and have a, a squiz at it. Oh, you're fired. Oh, yeah, <laughs> that's it. I've lost lost 500 brownie points right there. Oh, well. <laughs> <laughs> so, Jim, I know that you, you've written a book fairly recently. Do you want to tell us a little bit about that? Yes. So um, the, the book is kind of a workbook. It's called Reviving the Work Environment, Taking Your Position as a Leader. It's actually a... Um, fairly small book and I wrote it in a way for a leader who feels like they're stuck Mm. um, to take a step back, take stock, look at what's going on and um, go through some worksheets so that they can figure out how to move forward again. Um, It kind of has three what I call pillars. The first one is getting to know yourself no, the first one is about vision, right? The second one's about performance. Right. And how do we um, put, get that vision to come together? How do we put together our goals? What's important? Who are the people we need? 
And then the third part is how do I make that happen? What do I need to develop to make that happen? Uh, who are the people that I need um, mm. as far as teams? And what relationships do I need to have happen to make it all work? Um, under each pillar is a few things. So it turns out to be kind of a 12 step process. That's fascinating, isn't it? How often you go into an organization and ask, well, what, what's the vision? Why does this, what's this organization up to? How will the world be a different place when it's actually fulfilled what it's here for? And you get blank stares. Yes. So especially at the middle management layer, senior managers, directors, I find this a lot. We're so much in the trenches of get this done, get this done, get this done. We, we lose sight of the value we're trying to bring and we're just trying to deliver on activities. Yes. How much output am, am I doing? How many releases did we have? Not so much about did the releases deliver anything? Is it delivering value? Are we serving our customer? Uh, this, is, this is a big problem that I see in middle management. And often when I talk to them, uh, they say three things or something like these three things, that they are feeling physically drained every day because of the overwhelming amount of work and stress that's put upon them. Uh, they're paralyzed in many ways in moving forward because of conflicting priorities and we don't know how to manage them. And they also feel like they don't have a voice to change the craziness around their world. Um, and basically what I try to do when I work with them is help them generate clarity so they're not so overwhelmed. Uh, how to put prioritization processes into place so they can get rid of that conflicting priorities and um, how to be more strategic and influential so they have a voice against the craziness. Yeah, I, I get it. I don't know about you guys, Santosh and Steve, but I, I, I absolutely recognize what you're talking about and recognize that when people are that buried and that busy, it's actually really hard for them to slow down and actually have a long, hard look at what they're up to. So that connection to vision is often lost. Never mind, I mean, going even further out than that. I mean, um, something that I've been thinking about an awful lot over the last couple of years is what economists call negative externalities. Well, we've just been so busy doing things that there's been no attention paid to any of the, the accidental negative impacts that probably don't affect our bottom line, but we cause them. You know what I mean? Yep. Have, have, you, have you found any way of sort of bringing that kind of thing to people's attention or had any success there? Um, this is one reason why I wrote the book. Not everybody has coaching available to them. Um, they might feel it's expensive or their company won't pay for it. They have other priorities personally and they can't pay for it out of pocket. So I wanted to create a couple simple ways for people to access this. So one is the book, of course, you can just buy the book. And the second one was 
the book with just a little bit of coaching so somebody can take a step back. And I've seen this many times, go through the steps and I give them about three hours worth of my time to help them out. And they get to put together their own development plan or their 60 day plan to move them forward. And I hear a lot of people who have success with that. Sometimes it's not that they don't know how to do it. Often it's not that they don't know how to do this. Often it is, I just can't see the forest through the trees to be mm -hmm. able to do this, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I get it. How about you guys, Santosh, Steve? What I what I've have seen, I, I don't know, uh, get some um, your perspective as to middle management looks like whenever there is a change, they feel lost in the sense, what is my role now mm. in this new environment? So what, what is your experience or what, is, what kind of things have you come across and how do you coach them to find their place in this new? You know, when we talk about Agile, we often talk about product vision. Mm -hmm. When we come to this case, I often talk to leaders about you're the product. What is your mm -hmm. vision? How do you make this happen? If you were not an employee to the company and you are a consultant and you're providing a service, what would be the vision that you recommend that, that you move forward with? And this sometimes kind of separates them from the, the craziness that's going on, the minutiae of all the activities and kind of puts a, a wall between them that they can think and start saying, hey, if I were a service, how would I provide this to my people? Ah. I have, um, it's funny, we're talking about uh, vision and think using our own methodology. Uh, when I was starting to put some of this stuff together, um, someone said, well, Jim, you're, you're, you're the product here. Who you're selling to? And I'm like, oh, gee, I need to have personas of people that I'm <laughs> talking to, right? And one of them that I came up with is called uh, Miles Can't Say No. And Miles is a, is a director who can't say no to anybody in fear that as soon as they say no, they feel like uh, they're going to get fired or they're inadequate or whatever. And it causes all kinds of problems to feel like the three things that we said, right? That they feel drained because they, no, they can't say no to anything. Mm -hmm. They have conflicting priorities because they're getting things from all over the place. And, they, and because they feel they can't say no, they don't have influence to say no. Um, so Miles, in, in this case, and I have one particular guy in mind that we talked to, um, we coached him and we went through everything that was going on and he was losing people like crazy because he wasn't saying anything to say no. He was driving his team into the ground actually and he was losing people. And we finally got him to a point where we said, um, these are the problems, here's a lightweight strategy to move forward. We got his manager on board and it was like miles why didn't you tell me this was going on? I would have helped you. Because he just felt he can't say no, he wasn't communicating up. So this is often just the simplest thing. How do we communicate? Mm 
Um, and one other thing to that, uh, and I always tell people this, don't just go with the problems. When you go into your boss with just the problems, you're asking them to fight your battles, to firefight for you. You have to go there with some possible solutions and a recommendation. Pick one. It may not be the one that your manager comes up with, or the manager may add some other things to it, but it gets a conversation going rather than just what be considered complaining. Yeah, and I think that turns also people from uh, order takers to actually thinkers, because otherwise you are seen as just an order taker. Yes, I 100% agree. That is a great way to put it. We talk about that all the time. There is a whole section that I talk about with executives who are struggling with what we would now call executive presence, right? And the things we're talking about is just pieces of it. Um, but being able to think critically mm. yeah. and think things through is a big part of that executive presence. Um, and you don't have to have every answer. You don't have to have all the solutions. You can go to your team. Um, there are leadership styles, one called democratic, right? Where you go to your team and you talk to them and you talk out the solution and, and you have them help you figure it out. Um, this doesn't make you any less of a leader. This makes you, in my mind, more of a leader. Right, mm -hmm. being authentic and being vulnerable and allowing that to happen. Plus, just like we say when we coach teams, right, when they help come up with the solutions, they're going to have buy-in to it. Same thing here. If you're having your team help you come up with the solutions that we're going to move forward, they're going to feel like they've been heard. Mm -hmm. Right. Even if you don't pick one that Steve didn't pick, right, that Steve didn't come up with, Steve is going to feel like he was heard and Steve is going to have some buy-in and pick the one that the team democratically went with, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's like um, one of the tools that I absolutely adore is Jürgen Apollo's delegation poker, where you actually work with the team to go, what are all of the things that we need to be responsible for? And between you know, at one end of the scale, I have to be responsible as the boss. The law actually requires it. You know, this, my name is where the signature goes. I have to be responsible for this stuff. Right the way down to, I don't even need to know that you guys are doing this. So let's lay out all of these things. Let's make a decision about to what extent do I need to be involved? To what extent is it all you guys? Document it and then we'll go for it. That to me is leadership. Yep. Actually creating the space inside which people know how to get things done. Well, there are all kinds of leadership styles out there, right? Yeah. Well, back to the term um, executive presence. If you look up many articles, they'll say there's six, six things that make executive presence, the seven things, and they talk about being aware, um, a self-awareness and awareness of your people, of having some charisma to talk. Well, those are just attributes. The style yes. in which you activate these different attributes is different for everyone. And there's plenty of room, even though you talk about these attributes, there's plenty of room for each individual person to develop their own style to make it happen. 
don't you find that those articles that are like this, you know, you won't believe the seven magic things that make every business successful. <laughs> uh, um, I've been talking with a, a colleague of mine recently and he's like, all of my clients, they just want me to spend half an hour, show them something and magically make their business work out. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't work like that. No. Sorry about that. You know. Actually, that's um, a, a great segue to what I wanted to bring up. So I really like everything Jim said. My first reaction was to check my calendar to see if I had three hours anytime <laughs> soon. And it's sort of 12 months out. But anyway, that's a separate story. Uh, but what I am wondering is, um, we always say that people can only be coached when they want to be coached. So that's one precursor. And I like the fact that the idea of the book and people can also get a minimal amount of coaching. That's really cool. But how do you help people keep going after that brief spell of coaching? Well, yes, that's a great question. For me, um, what I have done is, and this is why I developed it, was to give them a brief amount of coaching so people can experience what it is and decide for themselves if, it, if they would like more of it. Um, and, and to try to get more of it. Um, we're actually working on some articles and methodologies to deliver out to people to help bring coaching into their organizations at, at different levels and different pieces. Um, one of the big things that are starting to, I'm starting to see out there is the manager as a coach and really starting to teach managers how mm. to coach their people, not just tell them what to do, not just to worry about performance reviews and things like that, but how do I stop telling them what and how to do and how do I coach them? How do I do really good provocative questions to get my people to think and help them move in the direction that I think I need to help them move into? And when we talk about coaching, especially executive coaching or life coaching, that's what we're talking about. There's, there's not really teaching in it. There isn't consulting in it. Um, some people compare it to therapy because we ask a lot of questions. Mm. Um, in fact, I had someone today and she said to me at the end, Jim, is this what our coaching sessions are going to be like? She's a new client. She says, it feels like therapy, but I love it. And I said, this is good. This is about asking right questions, getting you to really think before I give you my observations. I share, I really bring my experience into it, but I don't know your situation any better than you do. You know it more than I do. You know yourself more than I do. It's my job to get you to really think and look through your blind spots to make things happen. And um, the, the crossover between therapy and coaching, I always talk about therapy often is backward looking. What happened in the past? What has happened to make these things happen? that has me feel the way I feel or act the way I act. Uh, coaching is more forward-looking. It's really to get those questions, to get you to a light bulb going off and an aha moment, what we would call a new awareness. And then the next question will be, 
Okay, Santosh, what are you gonna do with this new awareness? How are you gonna bring it to life? And we start working how we get you to really activate it and move it. And again, since it's your aha moment, you believe in it. It's not me telling you. Yeah, I, I was at a conference last year and uh, you know, one of the speakers there, I forget the name now, but he, he actually said, coaching never ends. <sighs> and you know, I mean, it may be a different type of coaching, but what's your view on that? Because I thought that you've been in the coaching in different levels. So I would like to understand what, what you think about that. Well, if I asked my coach, yep, I have my own coach. Mm-hmm. I believe in coaching, so I have my own coach. Um, she would tell me the exact same thing. Because mm-hmm. there's always new awarenesses happening. Um, a while back, I guess a couple of years ago, the word was transformation agile transformations, digital transformation, every business has transformations. But when you really look at it, every single person is always going through transformations in their life, all the time. We grow up, um, we go from a child to an adult, we, we transformed, we went from college, we got married, no one told us to get married, we <laughs> on our own, that's a transformation. We had our own children, that's a different transformation. Um, but we brought these all on ourselves, we're always transfer- transforming, we are always learning. Um, I still go out and go to courses and seminars. And um, when I'm 85 years old, I hope I'm still doing it because I believe if I'm not learning something new every day, that's the day I die. Well, well said. (laughs) That's really interesting to hear. Um, Tell me, one of the phenomena that uh, you see is that sort of a mid-sized business where the founder is still the CEO. Mm. And it's kind of stalled because it's been pretty successful. They've made money. They may still be making money. But elsewhere in the the organization, people are starting to spot that, you know what? That's actually the sticking point. We really need to think about hiring above the CEO or beside. Mm. And are really stuck because the CEO still considers it to be their baby. It's their thing. Nobody's going to take it away from them. Have have you ever come across that? Have you ever found a a gentle way to let somebody know that, you know, they've taken it so far, but what got them here won't get them there. You know what I mean? Oh, yes. I see this all the time. Um, There was a period of time that I was doing a lot of coaching for starters. And uh, that happens a lot. I have a new idea, I, I make a business out of it, it is my baby. So I often tell these entrepreneurs, basically serial inventors, never be your own CEO, be the CTO, be the person that brings the new technology, the new things in there. And they asked me why, and I said, well, the person, the CEO, that takes you from your first dollar to your first million dollars is a different person than you need to take you from 
1 million to 5 million is a different person to take you from 5 million to 25 million and all upwards. Here you are the CTO, still the chairman of the board. You get to fire your CEO and bring in the next right person. You still own the technology. You still own the ideas. You still get to grow the ideas and you let somebody else worry about the finance and business part. This is a big problem I see with entrepreneurs, even myself in growing my own coaching business. I love, I love doing the business of coaching. Running the business of coaching is a whole different ball of wax, right? And they have the same problem. We see this all the time with companies. Um, but then there are also CEOs who say, yes, this is my baby. Um, I'm doing well with it. I don't want it any bigger. I'm happy with this, right? So they made a conscious decision that this is no longer a growth company. This could be a value company. And they need to talk to themselves as that way. Yeah, that's really encouraging. It strikes me that that's a great moment to start to have the conversations about things like the negative externalities. You can keep growing, but you don't have to grow bigger. You could actually consider that you could grow better. You could grow more responsible. You could reach out into wider communities. Hmm. Doesn't mean you necessarily have to run a bigger organization. Right. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's um, definitely a moment where if uh, you can find the way to acknowledge their accomplishments so they don't feel undermined or threatened. You really can open up. Well, it's the coaching thing. It's about releasing potential, isn't it? That's, that was my favorite definition of the job of a coach, releasing potential. Right. Right. So, so one of the things I struggled with in moving from a consultant to a coach, the consultant always tells you, wants to tell you what to do, Right benchmark you against what else is going on in industry. And this is where you are. And you could be here if you do this and you could be here if you do that. Coaching is, well, where is it that you want to go? Yep. Is your end. Yep. Now we can talk about how to get there, but it is not the, the consultant mindset. It is something that I do struggle with because sometimes when I have a coaching conversation, I have to kind of, I'm opening up the curtain. Here's the man behind the curtain a little bit. Um, I do struggle with, oh, I know where this conversation should go. I've seen this many times before. And when I don't do that and I allow the person to take me where they think they should be going through my questioning, we end up actually in someplace completely different often that I would have never got there without being just curious and inquisitive and help them go through those questionings themselves. Yeah, that reminds me of one of the other corollary to that question I always uh, I've seen being asked is, where do you would like to see uh, you go and uh, can you tell me what is stopping you? And that opens up a you know, big, bigger conversation. Mm. And, and, and then, then some of the things that, you know, 
uh, Andrew was saying is that there are some of the intangible things that start showing up. And, and that, that really is becoming, uh, no, at least I've, I've seen few places where those things were not really, they, they, they could be constraints, but um, they were not thinking holistically from that yeah. point of view. Yes, yes. And, and there's a lot of things that stop us. When you, you, you kind of spark something in my head, when you said, what are those things that are stopping you? In leadership, uh, from my point of view, there, there is one big thing that stops leaders all the time. It shows up many different ways, and it's really called fear. It's as simple mm. as that. But fear mm -hmm. is extremely, extremely complex. Um, I broke it down into four things and what I call the four fears of leadership. One is the fear of being incompetent or we sometimes call the imposter syndrome. <laughs> right? I became a new director and it's like, oh my Lord, I'm, I'm a director. They're asking me for my opinion. Why me, right? So, <laughs> yeah. uh, I, I have terrible trouble with that one, Jim. I just never know if I'm doing my imposter syndrome right. You know, just, <laughs> oh. um, we all struggle with that one. And, <laughs> and that's why um, these four fears, people identify with it, right? Uh, the second one is the fear of appearing foolish, um, especially in an environment where there's a lot of politics going on. You know, am I going to say something that uh, somebody's going to make me feel foolish because of whatever politics are going on? Um, this, you might, you heard of uh, fear of missing out, this kind mm -hmm. of falls in there, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, there's the fear of underachieving or fear of failure, right? Mm -hmm. If I take this on, uh, I'm going to fail. Um, perfectionism comes in here sometimes too. If I can't do it perfect, I'm going to fail. I'm not going to take it on. And the last one is fear of appearing too vulnerable. This is often I talk to people, if you feel like you have to have a, a virtual suit of armor on before you go into your meetings, this is fear of being vulnerable. And um, it's affected everywhere. Uh, everybody has these things. Um, nobody escapes it. This is a human thing. Mm -hmm. um, but it stops leaders often from doing the right thing. Miles can't say no. He had a fear. If I, I can't say no. But we found out his boss, when we brought it up to his manager in a, in a very succinct strategy on how to move forward he was like oh yeah i should have known this a long time ago you can say no we need to have the trade-off discussions so we know where we need to do and and what is most important doesn't it really show up those original three pillars of agile transparency inspection and adaption the transparency if you interpret it as actually being able to see what's going on, then yet poor old Miles can't say no, <clears throat> would be in a position to go, well, look, boss, I'd love to say yes, but let me show you what's going on. Our guys are 100% busy. We actually don't have any buffer. If we take on anything else, it's going to delay everything that we're committed to. So it's not that I want to say no. Of course, I'd love to say yes. I want to be a team player. 
but we're going to have to figure something out here. What do we do? Do we take something out? Do we hire people? Do we defer the thing you're asking for? What are we going to have to do? And it's, I, I really get that the, 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 the social threat, you know, I mean, we all get to know a little bit about sort of neurobiology. You can't move these days without finding out something about it. That bit of your brain that's interpreting this stuff doesn't really tell the difference between a fear of, of looking bad to your peers and a bear chasing you down the river, you know, um, as far as your deeper, older brain is concerned, either way you're in trouble. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it turns out that these agile, agile ideas that we've been playing with for all of these years, hmm, they actually work pretty well, don't they? You know? Yeah, but those agile ideas, as we said for a long time, sound, sound simple, but they're very hard to implement. And transparency, especially in my mind, is extremely hard. We try to put metrics in place so we can make decisions and everybody says, oh my God, it's a report card. I have to make my report card look good. So they do things to make the report card look good and we can't make the right decisions for the business. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think we've all seen those situations where maybe year one, they use the metrics to actually determine if things are going well. And then, unfortunately, somebody for year two decides to tie people's bonuses to an improvement in the metrics. Mm -hmm. And that never ends well. well that's the weaponization of the report. That's exactly right. Yes, that, that well, leads to all kinds of dysfunction. Yep. Coach can be the messenger. And then you can shoot the messenger, but the message doesn't change. <laughs> <laughs> so... Oh, that that's really where coaches courage. Uh, co coach is the one who actually gives the voice mm -hmm. to these fears. And I mean, I've, I've been in that situation where, you know, as you said, Miles can't say no. Um, I had few of the directors doing that way, and then you know, the uh, the business was saying, "I need this by this quarter." So we said, "Okay, fine. Let's put that whole thing in visual as to what it really takes to get this done." And it was supposed to be done by Q4 of 2020. We put all those things together and it showed that it will be get done by Q2 of 2022. Shoot me, I don't really care, but this is what the reality is. So now you can deal with the message. That happens a lot. They're a bit um, disconnected from what's going on a couple levels below them and um, their view is only through their direct, their mm -hmm. directs, and the directs don't want to give a bad view. So their view is actually obscured. Um, a while back, it's just kind of showing how old I am, there was straight from the gut, which was from, uh, what's his name from GE, Jack Wells. And, but one of the things, there were good things and bad things, I think, in his mind. But one of the good things he said is you should never just go one level down. You should always talk to people a couple levels down, understand what's going on, uh, see what your people are thinking and feeling and how their, how their work is being affected. Um, not trusting transparency of your direct reports and and vice versa because i mean if the people two or three layers down don't appreciate that the guys at the top are dealing with a whole different bunch of pressures 
Mm. They've got a board to answer to. They've been uh, required to make promises to the stock market, whether they wanted to or not, because analysts came up with numbers. Oh, yep. you know, that's, that's a whole different ball game up there compared to what's going on further down. So it actually really helps if the transparency goes in both directions. Yeah. So that can people be like, oh, wow, I didn't appreciate that my CEO was stressed out about that. I wonder what we can do to help. They're not going to be able to ask that question if they don't know. Yep. There was um, one organization I was doing agile coaching for a few years ago. And um, I, I wouldn't say they, they were struggling with doing agile. There were some good things that were happening and some bad behaviors in it, as we see often. And um, the person running it had, 20 teams they're all doing sprints and he said okay in sprint six i left it pretty empty so that we can fix a lot of bugs and i'm like okay this is a problem right here um <laughs> mm -hmm. but i can see that there was not the right communication that we recommend going through through these labors right we do scrum of scrum all the way up and it wasn't happening and he was hearing things he wanted to hear, not the things he should hear. Um, so he got down to sprint six and the teams finally said, oh, we're not gonna make it. We need about uh, four or five more sprints. And I said to him, I pulled him aside. And I said, okay, now let's look at this. Your direct reports just stole, I forget what number it was, $5 million from you. And he says, what do you mean they stole $5 million? I said, okay, that's how much it's gonna cost you to do these extra sprints they're asking for. And because they were not giving you the transparency to make decisions, trade-off decisions before sprint six, they stole the opportunity for you to decide, how can we change this? How can we save this? How can we fix this? Now, let me ask you another question. If you knew it was gonna take 12 or maybe 18 sprints in the beginning, would you have done this project to begin with? Are you still getting the value you wanted to get out of it, understanding the cost? And he says, nope. We wouldn't have done this project at all. 20 teams, 18 sprints, the cost would have been too much. I said, well, that's when you're not getting the transparency up and down, back and forth, agile, non-agile, whatever it is, if you're not being able to make the decisions in a timely fashion, mm. that money is being stole for you. Oh, yeah, I remember years ago when we all worked together, I dug into this a little bit and I found out that back then, most of the sort of Silicon Valley big-ish companies had an easy rule of thumb. It was a million dollars per team year. Mm -hmm. That was the run rate. That was what they were figuring it would cost to keep a team in, in work for a year. Well, that works out round numbers, about 40 grand a sprint for a two week sprint. Mm -hmm. And I loved having that number up my sleeve because if you go to a team and go, I want to take another sprint. How much did your car cost? You guys bought it, we've got a nice new car, right? Okay, well consider it's two and a half cars that you're now throwing away by taking another sprint. In fact, I don't know, I think all of us may have been 
at, I think it was one of Stacey's meetups at PayPal, mm-hmm. where Jeff Sutherland was there. And right mm-hmm. at the end, somebody asked him, hey, Jeff, if you could only give one piece of advice, what would it be? And I seem to remember he thought about this for a second. And then he skewered the audience with his gimlet eye and said, <laughs> if your team isn't delivering tested working software at the end of every sprint, please quit and go and work for our competition because you're no use to us. I would rather you were no use to them. <laughs> and we all sat there with our hair streaming backwards going, oh my God, I'm glad you said that, not me. <laughs> wow. Well, sure enough, he was using the privilege of the stage. Yep. But you get the point. If it's 40 grand, but this was years ago, it's 40 grand per team sprint. Yikes. Yeah. And if, you know, if you're producing tested working software every sprint, you're getting some pretty quick feedback. You can figure out if that software is actually doing what you think it's going to do. But if you're working on a project where 20 teams are a year late, um, you better have a lot of cash in the bank. Mm-hmm. Yep. I mean, we're I using about... a number closer to um, a little over 60,000 yeah. per team per sprint. Yeah. And um, one of the things that I do a lot for leadership is I don't talk, when I get to a certain level, I don't talk about sprints and I don't talk about team sprints. I convert no. it into those rough dollars and saying this is, it's, and I talk about it in dollars. And then all of a sudden the conversations change because dollars is a currency that we truly understand that's mm-hmm. different than a team sprint, right? Yep, yep. Or a man hour or whatever <laughs> work unit we want to use. When we get it to dollars, even though it's rough, our brain just works completely different. Yeah, interesting because I, I when I was coaching to one of those uh, leaderships, I actually used similar, but not in dollar sense. I said, what is the investment you are ready to make? Because that's what's going to start paying you. And this is what is investment dollars will be needed. And now you can tell me whether the return on your investment is going to be X x.5 or 1 over x <laughs> mm. now you can you know they, that that they can relate to that very easily right. uh, instead of number of people what kind of things are doing you know all kind of things but yeah so they have, we had changed the vocabulary from job size to investment yep. and uh, that changed the the, the discussion yeah I think it's a good way to reveal the what, you know, what do you want to get out of this question? Um, I've certainly, I'm sure this has happened to you as well, Jim. You get brought in by somebody and it's like, well, we we want to be agile here. Okay. Well, why? Why why do you want to be agile? I mean, let's let's say you employ me and I'm here for three months, six months, a year, whatever. What's going to be different? And how will you know that you've got that? And what's it actually worth to you? Hmm. It's amazing how often people are like, oh, I don't know. But I know this Agile thing's supposed to be good, isn't it? Well, yeah. But let's actually, let's dig into this a little bit so that we can actually know whether we're going in the right direction. And I want, I want you to know that I'm worth my money. 
Yes. Right. So, so whether it's agile or executive coaching or either way that we do it, it's, it's, what do you want to get out of this? Yes. Um, but then I dig down even further and it's, why do you want to get out of that? And then I want it down to personal. Mm -hmm. If, if you, Andrew, were trying to hire me as an executive coach, because you want to make it to your next rung up the ladder, I want to move from a director to a senior, senior director, right? I'm like, okay, what does that mean to you? Why do you want to be a senior director? Well, I make more money. Well, why do you want more money? What does that mean to you, right? When they get down to uh, the fact of, well, I can provide for my family more. I can do this. It's personal to me. When I get down to that, then my last question starts to be, well, what values are you honoring by being able to do ask for that? And what values are you dishonoring about asking for that? And that gets them to really think. And when they mm -hmm. get past that question, then I know they're ready for me to talk to them. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. It's, isn't it funny how it's sometimes you have to ask the negative question to get the positive answer. Yes. Right. Yep. Uh, favorite trick. Well, if you're not quite sure how you want this to go, let's go the other way. How do you think that you could really mess this up? <laughs> I think I was uh, telling Santosh the other day that one of the, the great exercises I came across a while back was some, um, you know, something you can do with a group of managers or even executives is to say, look, imagine that you've all just been fired and your competition has picked all of you up and they've given you a project. The project is to ruin your old company. What would you do? <laughs> wow. <laughs> and all of a sudden these guys are like, oh, 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 right. Yes. Interesting. Yeah. I was going to bring up, there is the concept of a pre-mortem instead yeah. of a post-mortem. So you envision something going wrong and then work back to figure out how you could avoid it. Yes, yes, oh, exactly. That's an interesting way to look at it, yes. Yeah. Right. Yeah. We often talk to executives and leaders and from a product point of view, we say, how do you take all your stuff and make it obsolete by next year? Hmm. That, that's a good question because um, if they're not asking it themselves, you can pretty much bet their competition is. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. We often get into the mindset where we just add a little more value, a little more value. We make the product a little bigger, a little better. We're not asking the big question on what's the next thing? How do we make this obsolete? Right? Yeah, we can optimize the current process. It's like going from plane pl place A to place B where you have all these traffic lights and you, know, you can build a faster car or a, uh, a expressway or whatever. But uh, he said, you know, really what we want to look at is how can you build a helicopter so that you don't have to worry really about this and get from point A to point B with a helicopter. Yeah. Well, what is the helicopter way? There's, there's an old quote from Henry Ford, right? right? If he had listened to his customers, he would have made a faster horse. Right. <laughs> right? Yeah. But what they really wanted underneath there was not a faster horse, although that's what they asked for. They just wanted to get point A to point B 
faster, more efficiently, more effectively, whatever attributes you want to put around it. But that's what yeah. they were actually asking for. Yeah, and yes. leaders, leaders are always asking for the same thing in their leadership. How do I move it forward? How do I do the next thing when they should be asking more about not the, the next thing, but what is beyond, really mm -hmm. beyond that? What is the goal that I'm going to get out of this, right? They need to have their own, what we call product vision board, right? We used to draw those up on the board, right? Mm -hmm. Single pager. They need to look at themselves at the same way as a, how am I as a product and a service as a leader providing value to my organization? So yep, it feels right. like we've uh, come full cycle back to where we started. <laughs> and maybe it's uh, a good time to wrap up. So I would like to thank Jim for a really fascinating uh, topic. And also thanks to Andrew and Santosh. Uh, yeah, here, here. Good to see you again, Jim. That was a wonderful conversation. Privileged to be, you know, having this again. It's fantastic. Yeah, thank you very much for having me. I enjoyed our time together. And as I said in the beginning, we stayed in touch through all this. So let's keep on going in Zoom and any other way that we have available to us nowadays. So Steve, I think you have the ending question as usual. So I'll let you do yes. that. <laughs> so Jim, if uh, our audience want to get in touch with you, what's the best way to do that? Oh, the easiest way is to look me up on LinkedIn. I always check my LinkedIn email there, even, even if my email address changes. So look for James Saliba on, um, on LinkedIn and you can find me there. I have a website. Guess what? It's called jamesaliba.com. You can find <laughs> me there. And uh, my email address is jim at jamesaliba.com. And also uh, the latest book that you have? Ah, uh, yes. So the latest book, the book that I have out now is called uh, Reviving the Work Environment, Taking Your Position as a Leader. And hopefully by next year, I'll have my new book out. And the working title is uh, Say F You to Fear and Boost mm -hmm. Your Leadership with Direction, Achievement and Authenticity. Nice. We look forward to that. Yeah, we Thanks should book everyone. up the time for next year so we can go over it with you then. <laughs> Can't wait. All right. Thank yeah. you. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, Bye. guys. Fantastic. Thank you. Bye.